0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church, serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational, multi-generational family. family, equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. For yours as well, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Family, I have a a tough task today. Trying to get all of that's in here on judgment and blessing, or judgment and reward uh, that will happen in the eternities. And so, if you will, forgive me, I I won't be using a timeline uh, of any kind. We're not going to tell you when this is going to happen in world history and this is going to happen. It's a wonderful privilege that we have to just simply know that Christ has given us both a warning and a taste of what's going to come, and I, I, I want to embrace those. And so we also have to recognize that we are filled with all of these misconceptions about heaven and hell, aren't we? Uh, now, I want you to see two cartoons, the first on hell, and I want you to know it, it's done from the last week non sequitur. If you read the funnies already... And I'm sorry, in blowing it up, it, it, it lost some of its clarity. So let me allow, allow me to read to you. Two men are standing at the entrance, if you will, of hell itself. And one looks to the other and says, I stand corrected. Things are worse than we imagined. And there in front of him is the eternal buffet menu, which says everything is fat-free, gluten-free, and made of tofu. And we have this idea that uh, boy, this is that's hellacious, and so we grasp that and we make it really bad, uh, never really understanding that hell will be far worse than we can ever ever imagine. Secondly, we we see heaven. Uh, I hope you're a lover of the far side. You should be. Gary Larson has just a wonderfully twisted mind, and here on a, a cloud with uh, his halo and his. Wings, a man looks out and simply says, boy, wish I brought a magazine. And many have the idea that heaven is just such a boring, boring place. Well, let me, let me start with why we have problems in the first place. You and I are physical people. We, we gather information through our senses, taste, touch, feel. Or taste, touch, smell, etc. We process that information in a brain that also is physical. Our experiences are physical. So we have no way of expressing supernatural ideas to allow our physical brains to attach and understand. Do you understand that? All right? Even though you have masks on, every once in a while, if you get it, kind of go, I, I get that, all right? Helps me out tremendously. So let me give you an example, all right? We're going to go to heaven, those who are believers, and we are going to a, a place called the marriage supper of the Lamb. What does supper assume? Food, all right? So food goes in physical human beings. Where does it go? Does it go out? And does out in heaven like out on earth? Can't be. Can't be. But we can't grasp that whole process. It just doesn't work. All right? Conversely, we talk about hell. Being a flame of fire. Describe the literal impact of flame on a supernatural being where the flame cannot consume. Okay, understand, that flame's got to be a really, really rotten flame supernaturally in light of what we know flame to be here physically, all right? So do you understand the the problem that we're going to have this morning as we come through here? Um, We're going to recognize that these images and these supernatural ideas are beyond the imaginable. And we're going to be confronted with two passages of Scripture today, both of which are sermon series, not sermon one, one standing moment. And so if you will join me in Matthew chapter 25... We're going to read a long section, 15 verses together, verses 31 to 46. So, if you will, join us. Family, those of you who are home today, please, grab your Bibles. Grab your laptops. Open open your Bible app. Join with us. verse 31 as we read God's word says this when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people as one separate or from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on his left Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the internal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, Now, family, this this long passage of Scripture gives us some wonderful and important assumptions that we're going to see and learn about sheep and goats. And if you will, I'd I'd like to simply walk through it as much as we can. Verse 33 uh, is the first place I want you to notice Christ introduces us to the sheep and to the goats. And what I want you to know most cleanly this morning. What I want you to be able to take away, if you know Christ as your Savior this morning, at the very beginning, Christ knows the redeemed. He knows his sheep from the unredeemed, the goats. And family, we've learned that. We we understand that Jesus' own words later on in John 10 were, I know my sheep and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. So from the very beginning, we have an identity. Jesus Christ knows His. So it's not based on their works. We have nothing to worry about in that that context. We'll speak to that in a moment. But the simple core idea is Jesus Christ knows us. And Others are able to identify us as sheep. Sheep are known as sheep by three tests that show their sheepiness. All right? Now, you might hear some words this morning. I want you to put them off to the side. You can look them up. I'm selling my own Pete Slushers authoritative dictionary later on. Highly theological, technical term, sheepiness. All right? Simply means look Like a sheep. All right? What makes you look like a sheep by Scripture? Number one, on 1 John and 2 John, we believe that Jesus is God come in human flesh. Now, that phrase is a jam-packed phrase in 1 John and 2 John. It means that believers get who Jesus is. We get it we get the idea that he's god that he's man that he lived a sinless life that he died on the cross for our sins that he rose victorious on the 3rd day we get all of those things and the idea that he came in the flesh all of that is bound up in that simple phrase it makes a sheep we also we obey christ's commands believers get what Jesus expects. As a new creation, we naturally want to do the things that please him. And so, family, let, let's look at this from the point of a negative. How many times have you sat at the end of a day, examining the behavior of your day, and you were disappointed with what you've done? Why? Because you knew God's word, and you knew the work of the Holy Spirit as, as as the Holy Spirit ministered to you, and you knew intrinsically that you did not measure up. Sheep know the expectations of Christ. We know the commands. And we wish to please Him. This isn't works salvation. This is the result of grace. And I want you to to suggest the last one. We love other believers. Believers get the family connection. We know the importance of each other. and, And I have no other reality to express than what we see here. You are willing to come put on a halitosis-filled mask. Halitosis, for those of you who need to know, is bad breath, all right? So you have a mask that you do not want to put on, you do not like to put it on, you struggle with every aspect of it being on. And yet at the same time, you know, family, and you know, who are watching by screen this morning, that a two-dimensional church service isn't completely church, is it? If we haven't connected with one another, if if there hasn't been a a, a vital relationship, there's something missing. If if there wasn't an opportunity to meet in the hallway and and point each other to an an encouraging idea that happened to you this week, that that devotions were special, that, that God did something in your life, uh, the church just is, is a little empty. We need that. It's vital. Over and over again, the Bible says we do so, and it encourages us. Well, why do we need encouraging? Because we're all part of the family, and we recognize that. And in that, our sheepiness is identified. But Jesus Christ knows who we are, even before the foundations of the world. Family, I want you to also then see in verse 34, Christ introduces us to the privilege of sheep. I don't know if you've thought about your salvation, but here is potentially one of the greatest privileges that you have. I want to suggest to you today if you know Christ as your Savior, you know you're a sheep, you have won the lottery. It says here that you are blessed by the Father. Blessed is a compound Greek word. It means to speak well of. Now, back away for a moment and put that in context. You see, we don't see compliments from God each and every time but let's 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 walk around those who do. Can you imagine in the in the throne room of heaven for God to look down to Satan and say, "Have you seen my servant Job? Let, let me tell you about him. He knows his name. there's intimacy. He looks to David and he says, "Hey, have you seen my servant David? There's nobody who's got a heart like mine." That shares humanity. To Moses, he says, I talk to him face-to-face as one person talks to a friend. All right? Let's go to some negative examples in the New Testament. Those of you who know your Bible this morning, is there anything about Samson, when you read him about him in the book of Judges, that you look down and go, I want to be like that guy when I grow up? All right? Anything? Anything? And yet, come to Hebrews chapter 11, and where do you find him? He's in the hall of fame of faith. Twenty years he was the judge of Israel. We don't know anything about the positives of who he was, the negatives of who he was, and yet here's God bragging about Samson. Let me give you another one. How many of you know the character of Lot back in Genesis? Anything good? Any? At all? First Peter. Righteous What? Alright? You're the sons and daughters of God on high. And he says, Jesus says, that you exist in positive blessing, in statements of encouragement, Of action plans that's for your best. You are blessed by the Father. What an incredible place that could be. Family, I want to read a a passage of Scripture, Zechariah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And I I want you to see, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. We're gonna see a character, Joshua. Joshua is the first high priest who will go back into what now is known as the second temple. Solomon built the first. It was destroyed by the Babylonians. They came back. They now rebuild it. Joshua is the first one here. Listen to this dialogue that goes on. Chapter 3 says this. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, Satan standing on the right hand, at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. For is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed in filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken away your iniquity from you. I will clothe you with pure vestments. Family, Satan accuses. God cleans, rebukes your accuser, and cleans you up. As sheep, you and I are the very blessings of God, bragged about, bragged about, cleaned up, and given the privilege to inherit the kingdom prepared for you. At the creation of the world. So, to those who know Christ, to the sheep, he's a profound blessing. And I want you to see here, now we're going to begin to look at what a sheep does. And in verse 35, Christ introduces us to the behavior of sheep. And simply put, the natural desire of sheep is to do what God loves. And so he says that this idea of feeding and clothing and caring for them and, and, and dressing them and going to prison for them. I want to tell you this natural desire, these least are brothers of mine, Christ said. They refer to Christ's disciples or all Christians. He is not talking in this context about the guy at the stoplight with a can out who will work for food. He's not talking about the least of these who are walking through our community. In this context, he's talking about the least of the brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, those that you and I have noticed that they needed care, and you got on a food train. You know that they needed care, and you ran down to to Kohl's and used your coupons. And, and bought clothing for the family and just simply showed up and get, put it at the door. You, you showed up when someone had been identified as a Christian, were arrested for their faith. You signed on the guest list, the registration at the prison, visiting a brother in, in jail and forever identifying yourself with them. So Jesus says, you did it to the least of these. And the sheep's response was, when? When did we ever do that? And I want to suggest to you that sheep do these simple, easy things so naturally they don't even remember when they did it. And I also want you to know here, God's not looking down at the sheep going, here, I wanted you to accomplish this since you're my sheep. Forgive me, but how hard is it to share a meal? How hard was it to stop by and share food or visit somebody who's sick? How hard was it to go visit a brother or a sister who may be in jail? It's not a, a large, difficult list. And so he just simply says your behavior evidences that you're a sheep and that they're so insignificant there's no memory of them. Family, I want you to now put your finger in chapter 25 of Matthew. We're going to go to Luke 19. Because I want you to get maybe a fuller picture of of what it means to behave like a sheep. So if you will, Luke chapter 19 verses 12 and following gives rewards from a different angle. Follow along as I begin. A nobleman went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. Family, let me stop. Isn't that an incredible line? Um, If this, and it is, Christ giving parable about Christ, describes you and I in action, that's doing business for him. As if you're his representative in the business world. Verse 14, But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. So let me stop there. What Christ is saying is that when he is at the right hand of God the Father, he will be the kingdom ruler. And every human being will report to him. That's the the king when we talk about the sheep and the goats. This is the shepherd who divides So here, this nobleman who's now been made king is Christ at the right hand of the Father. And every human being will be under his authority. And so he finishes the story. We will look at it from just the point of the sheep. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a little, in very little you will have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are going to be over five cities. Family, God gives us all a mina, and then he asks us to use that mina to engage in business until he comes back. The value of a mina Is approximately 20 years of of wages, of payment, of of earnings in your lifetime. So 20 years, one minor. I want to suggest to you, based on, on a verse found in Numbers chapter 4, verse 3, it says that a priest served from 30 to 50. After he went through an apprenticeship, he was given the right to serve as a priest, and he was retired at 50. Now, I don't know why he was retired at 50, other than one of the responsibilities was to pack up and carry a lot of the tabernacle. And maybe at 50, uh, you and I just don't have the legs that a 30- and 40-year-old do. So, 20 years He is identifying the essential life of a servant. All right, And he's just looking down going, hey, let me look at your life. Let me analyze your life. I'm going to give you one life value, one mina. I want to see what you do with it. And so to these two made a tenfold profit and a fivefold profit. I've given you a little chart here. I want you to understand that as we talk about the mina that we've just read, we're talking about sheep. God will talk about a third person of the ten he gave a mina to in the text of Scripture. We don't have time for it today, but it's a goat. He he was given one mina, one life, and he did nothing with it of eternal investment. And God gave him death. You and I know it as the second death. His mina was given to the person who made a tenfold profit. So if you really add it up, he had his mina that was given to him by the king. He made ten more. One was given to him. He had twelve minas. And he was given a reward that will be done in the kingdom. The other, who was given a mina, made five more. Having now six minas, he's given five cities. And it will be done and blessing in the kingdom. So the behavior of the sheep here has expectation, has reward, has opportunity into the future. And so we see this unfold. Our lives can be more risky than just loving our brothers and sisters. Let me add one more to our behavior of of sheepiness. I believe he gives an idea of how he'll reward us throughout the rest of the New Testament. In the rest of the New Testament, five crowns are mentioned. Now, I believe three of them to be mere synonyms of one another. So you're now about to hear Pete's interpretation, all right? So hear me out, make it clear. You're hearing Pete's interpretation. If you want to find a better interpretation, you're more than welcome. All right? So I don't think that these five crowns in and of themselves have strong designation. So I want to suggest to you the victor's crown, the crown of rejoicing, or the rejoicer's crown, or the third, the crown of righteousness, the righteous crown. I believe all three of these ultimately honor the man or the woman who has chosen a plan that maximizes your life service for Christ. All right? It's not just merely taking care of the brothers and sisters. That's just an assumption. You you know to do that. So much do you know to do it, you didn't even know you did it. We now talk about the opportunity that you're focusing your life on pleasing the Lord. Now, most of you who are sheep in the room today know that you choose A, good, over B, evil. Right? Right? The person receiving this kind of reward, the the crown of righteousness, the rejoicer's crown, the victor's crown, I want to suggest to you, not only do they know how to choose A, good, over B, evil, they know how to choose A, good, and B, gooder. Okay? We know gooder when we see it. And we're not going to be satisfied with good if gooder makes the Lord look good. If eternity is presented to my my family, my neighbors, my circle card. If my recognition of life service, if God and my loyalty to him is more clarified with plan B, then I'm choosing plan B. So not only do they know good from evil, but they know good from gooder. And they want more gooder. All right? Blessing number one. That has fruit into heaven. Number two, the crown of life. Believers who keep the faith when it's costly. Believers who keep the faith when it's costly. Now, let me talk to you today. As I look at at all of your wonderfully masked faces... There are some of you who will say, oh boy, we are just being persecuted for our faith. And those Texas, excuse me, those Californians, not only do they have to wear a mask at church, but they can't sing. Well, please understand a little bit of my cynicism. Do you think it would impress our brothers and sisters in North Korea this morning? who would meet in a small apartment room and gather in Jesus' name in utter secrecy, coming in 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 different times so no one knows the actual number in this room. And the person in the front who's directing the worship would simply say, great is thy faithfulness. And in the quiet of the room, everybody begins to ponder. Not, Not sing it. Not vocalize it. Ponder it. is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no ponder it. It can't go over the hallway. It can't go through the. It can't go through the doors because if it's found out, everyone in here is now suspect, under arrest. They have gulags to take care of believers. Forgive me, but if you've done any reading within the persecuted church, they have trained dogs that take them out like you would have had lions in the Colosseum. It's not the same for you and I as Americans. Family, it's not the same as the Pakistanis would have, would, would have the same ushers at the door that we do, but they didn't greet. They made certain that no one threw uh, an, I, I, an explosive of any kind into your worship service, utterly ruining the worship service for the day, by taking many of us out. It's it's not the same as as, as my suffering for the Lord. And I believe that God honors them for their perseverance in the faith. I want to suggest to you sacrifice believers who keep the faith when it's costly. A, A woman like Johnny Erickson who lives out life, accomplishes more with her teeth than many of us do with our full, engaging bodies. Incredible. The crown of life. I want to suggest to you the third, the crown of glory. Now, it's mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 4, and he's talking to a bunch of elders. I want to extend this a moment, because I believe it could be to elders, deacons, teachers, leaders in the church, both men and women, who were honored in heaven because they were willing to encourage the faith of others. And so those of you who have gathered people together and say, let's grow in our faith, and, and it was a discipling, I believe God to honor you an opportunity where you've protected the church from doctrinal disillusionment, there's a protection for you and an award. And God recognizes our work down here and he utilizes it for preparation for what will occur in the tomorrows of eternity. Family, I believe Scripture hints at an eternity of significance. So the actions here are rewarded with more meaning and purpose in heaven. But I want to tell you why I also think you don't know a lot. We don't have it all laid out for us. Is twofold. First off, we often would reduce it to a checklist I did this I did this I did this God leaves it somewhat as a mystery because I believe that there's going to be a lot of saints that you look down in, in in humility at their behavior and they're going to be higher than you and I in heaven and people that you looked up to that are going to be your equals or maybe even beneath you in heaven and so God leaves this somewhat of a mystery then uh, the second and the most important here is, Heaven ultimately is a honeymoon. Any of you really scripted out your honeymoons? You need to understand, you know, when I married Kathy and we flew off our way on our honeymoon, I really didn't care when I got up for breakfast. That was on my honeymoon. I I didn't care what we were going to do this afternoon. That was on my honeymoon. I was with Kathy. I didn't care where I was going to sleep or eat tonight. I was on my honeymoon. And I love being with Captain. The Bible says we're going to be with the bridegroom. Forgive me. Why would I care? Why would I care about all this stuff of eternity when I'm going to be with the one who died on the cross for my sins? And then, because he did, introduced me to the Father, and the Father now speaks well of me every time. Forgive me, but how long am I going to get bored of that before I get bored of that? I think it might take eternity. But yet, the Bible speaks to significance. We're going to be up there doing things. And I believe the best place to look at that is Genesis 1 and 2. Nowhere else in Scripture but there. And in that point, I want you to see in Genesis 1 and 2, God created, but man named the animals. Man organized the garden. Man was commissioned to expand the garden, to fill the earth, to utilize and organize what was there. And his management of the planet was to be done for the honor and the glory of God. Now, what if eternity... The new heavens and the new earth reflect that same dynamic that God created it. And now he looks down and he says, okay, bride, bride, come on together. Hey, I've reorganized you all. So, some of you are ten city people. Some of you are five city people. Uh, um, Victor Crown people, you, you need to come on up here. Come on, I, we've all organized you. I, I want you now. To use your creativity your ingenuity and and i want you to now advance and do this for my honor and glory family the eternity that asks you and i to be sheepy here on earth why would it make sense for us to go to heaven and be bored for a few days waiting for the next worship service to come along why would we sit on a cloud in order to go and and go to a church service a few days later. It makes no sense. God has a fuller idea for us. Now we have to look at a second group of people, a second group of animals, the goats. So if you will, take your Bibles, come back to Matthew chapter 25. I want you to notice that we're going to look at this, this last, the punishment of the goats. And I want you to notice that first Christ orders their removal. And as he orders their removal, they are just normal people. They're not Adolf Hitler-like characters. They're people that you're going to see each and every day at In-N-Out. And there's a chance that they're going to be each and every Sunday at church. But they're people who didn't feed, who didn't care for, who didn't visit, and didn't dress. The very people that the sheep did. They neither loved to do the things God loved, nor to serve and care for the people God loved also. And they are stunned that such insignificant tasks kept them from heaven. So they answered in the same way that the believer did. When? When did we ever neglect this responsibility? You didn't take care of my family. So in doing so, you never took care of me. Now, family, we may not like this, but I want you to recognize what an incredible privilege it is. The very one who created hell the very one who created it for the devil and his angels or the demons, the very one who created it in its awful ugliness is the very one who provided salvation for you so you'd never have to see it, know it, enter it. And what a profound act of privileged love he gives. And so he tells us a little bit about hell itself. And I want you to see that, that first, hell is total separation. So he says, depart from me. It is a total separation from God. And, and, and I don't know how strong your imagination is right now, but I want to suggest to you of all of the things that we'll see in a moment, it is the most hellish, eternal nightmare to occur such a split, you who know Christ should know some of the most comforting words in Scripture that we have is statements like "I will never leave you or forsake you." No matter how bad it gets, I'm not. Uh, I'm here for you. We may struggle with feeling it, we may struggle with identifying it, but the promise still stands. So Jesus could say to the to the Jews who are just about to reject him and take him to the cross. Here at the triumphal entry, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I wanted to be like like a mother hen and gather you together and take you under my wing. But you would not. We recognize him as the God of all comfort. Why? Because he's here with us. If you really want to read, go back to the Old Testament prophets. As the prophets declared and talked about the destruction of both the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, their description was very clear. God would not be there. And family, please, please concentrate. If the destruction of the northern kingdom of the hands of Assyrians is as awful as we read about in history, how awful is an eternity in hell without God? If the destruction of Judah is as awful as the book of Lamentations expresses, how awful is an eternity without God? I want you to note a second Hell is bad company. No matter what you hate, about any place that you ever have to go to, it ain't the company of hell. The goats will be with the devil and his angels forever. Those who refuse Christ and have rejected the advice of Christ followers will be sent to hell itself with those who rejected the Lord of heaven. And family, the only sound hell ever has said within the New Testament to express what will be heard in hell is weeping and the gnashing of teeth. Imagine, depart from me, and the only sound you hear is the mourning of extreme loss. Thirdly, hell will be genuine and difficult punishment. The Bible calls it fire and burning sulfur. So understand, if literal fire is bad, all right, not something I really want to hold on to. If literal fire is bad, hell's suffering must be far worse. John Ryle describes it this way He says, Who shall describe the misery of eternal punishment? It is something utterly indescribable and inconceivable. The eternal pain of body, the eternal sting of an accusing conscience, the eternal society of none but the wicked, the prospect of a weary, hopeless future makes our blood run cold. And forgive me, but could you not amen that statement? So Jesus takes time as he closes this moment in history, if you will, days before he walks to the cross, to serve us as an opportunity of blessing to those of us who are his sheep and of warning to those who are goats. You know, if we think we're right with God when we're not, he also speaks with loving force so we'll be ready when he returns. And family, understand, if you are a, a sheep this morning and rejoice in your sheepiness, please sit back and rest on the day that you identified as a sheep. That day when you, you understood, you accepted the fact that you're a sinner and you could not save yourself. There wasn't enough good that you could do. There wasn't enough opportunity to do the right stuff that was going to impress God. And you grasped it. And you understood the barren hopelessness of that situation. You accepted it. And then there was a moment, right, as you understood your lack, you understood that you needed to believe in the work of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he and he alone paid that price, that he alone went to the wrath of God. And you put your absolute and complete trust in, in his work alone, covering over, forgiving the sin that we, in, we know to be unacceptable. And you confessed both your lack and Christ's gain. Christ's complete sufficiency. You confessed that that was all that you held precious and you committed your life to be a Christ follower, to be a sheep for the rest of your life. And what a blessing that is to those of you who have sheep in you and you recognize and revel and rejoice in your sheepiness. And to those of you who by way of camera this morning or who are here in the room, please understand, no matter how much we talk about the blessings of heaven and the gift of salvation, till it becomes almost ad nauseum to your ears, it doesn't take away the truthfulness of it. It will be the only sufficiency that you have in life. And I would encourage you, because Christ took the time to state, he took the love to show that you give it the proper attention it deserves and recognize what a privilege it is to be offered the gift of salvation, knowing the day will come that you will live an eternity based on the reward of that privilege and unfortunately, knowing the punishment of refusing the gift. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just ask you to watch over. And dear God, as I close in prayer right now, I'd simply ask that whether by by camera this morning or evaluation of of those who are sitting here, that dear God, no moment would be missed to seek out the opportunity to certify, to know that Jesus Christ is my Savior. And so dear God in heaven, I would ask that you would be with those in the room today that they, they may not leave. Until they've they've asked the right questions, that Father, by way of camera this morning, that that they seek out through email, through through extension to friends, to 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 loved ones who are in the room, that dear God, we know today, the very blessings of God. Now we, dear God, we'd ask that you would, you would allow us, your sheep, to walk from here, having corporately praised you, then dear God, to live and serve you with that dynamic of our sheepiness this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you!